All right, prodigal. Prodigal. Does anybody know what prodigal means? Right? Because, I mean, I've heard this in regard to the parable of the prodigal son, but how often do we really use that word? Um, well, it means wasteful. Or especially in the case of money or something you're given, it means to uh, be extravagant with it, even reckless. And so Jesus is sharing this parable with an audience of Pharisees, religious teachers of law, and sinners. And the Pharisees and teachers of religious law are criticizing Jesus because he's hanging out with sinners. Yuck, what are you doing? That's not the way this works. So Jesus says, well, let me explain to you how this works through this parable, this story, to teach you something. And in this case, it's a little something about our character and the character of God the Father. And I love, love, love how Luke describes the sinners in the crowd who are listening to Jesus. He says they are notorious sinners. That means they are known for their sin. They're not hiding it. They can't hide it because they're corrupt tax collectors. They're prostitutes. I mean, they're known in the community like that is a sinner. There's nowhere for them to go to hide. About 15 years ago, I had a bump on my back. You ever do this? I'm like itching or something. I'm like, what is that? And I just feel kind of this hard bump. And so I go in the bathroom and I do the, uh, the old double mirror thing. You guys ever do that? You grab the handheld mirror and then use the other mirror. And I see a bump on my back, but it's flesh colored. Like it's not red or anything too alarming. It's just a bump. And so I'm like, all right, no harm, no foul. Like it's a bump, but whatever. I ignore it. So fast forward four years later, and I start having pain in the same spot in my back. I'm like, okay. And the pain grows. To one night, I am in such pain, I can't sleep. And I wake up in the morning to do the old double mirror thing again in the bathroom, and I see this monster on my back. I mean, it's about like an 11-inch hump, bright red, and I touch it, and I, like, I feel fluid in it, and, and it's warm to the touch. I'm freaking out. Like, and so I do what anyone does when they freak out. I call my mom. And so I go, Ma, this is, I, I describe the monster on my back, and she goes, that sounds like an infection. You have to go to urgent care. So I'm like, okay, okay, yeah, you're right. All right, I'll go to urgent care. They'll give me some antibiotics, and I'll be done with this thing. So I go to urgent care. I show the doctor my back, and he's like, that's bad. I'm like, not what I want to hear, but okay. And I'm like, what is this? He goes, well, most likely you had like an ingrown hair or something that then kind of calcified, turns into kind of like a cyst, and then it somehow ruptured in your back, and now it's infected. And I'm like, that's what that little 
little bump was four years ago. And he's like, we have to drain this. I'm like, drain it? I'm like, okay. Not what I expected. So he takes me to the back room, and this guy, he makes an incision. I'm on my stomach, laying on the table, and makes the incision to drain the fluid. And, and I keep calling this fluid. This stuff is the devil himself. <laughs> the smell that came out, like I have smelled chicken so old that it's been liquefied. This was 10 times worse. This was such a rancid stink. I'm embarrassed by it. And I can't believe the doctor is able to even work and he's squeezing it out. I mean, it is nasty. And I'm sitting there gagging and it hits me. Like, I cannot believe this stuff that is making this smell was inside of me. That is disgusting. And then as I lay there on the table, it hit me. This is my sin. This is how nasty my sin is. You can follow along today using the YouVersion app. Just uh, click the More tab and select Events, and then click on Genesis Church, and the verses will be up on the screens as well. We're going to go through quite a bit of verses, but we're only going to get through about like the first half of the parable of the lost or prodigal son, as it's more commonly referred to. Uh, and we're going to focus on the younger son this morning, as we will get into the, young, the older son uh, next week. But uh, before we get into it, let's pray. Holy Father, thank you so much for this morning, Lord. I thank you for your word, Lord, and the seed that it is. And I pray that today that seed will fall in soft soil, that it may be rooted deeply and bear much fruit. We give this time to you. In Jesus' great name, amen. amen. So Luke uh, chapter 15, uh, we're going to go through verses 11 through 24, but we're going to Start in verses 11 and 12, which say, To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. That's cold-blooded. Like, we don't, we don't get this too much in our culture. Like, inheritance, I don't think about that too much. I'm like, I'm not planning on getting too much. But even if you were, it's given to you. It's not something you expect or ask for. And the son, the younger son here, he's telling his father, I want my inheritance now. The Jewish culture this is being told to, their jaws just hit the ground. Kenneth Bailey was an anthropologist and theology professor who was uh, so intrigued by this request of the younger son that when he would go off uh, into like the Far East 
or uh, Afri uh, African cultures, he, he would present this scenario to them. And one African culture, um, when, when Kenneth Bailey asked them, what would you do in this scenario? They responded, we would beat this boy. And Kenneth Bailey says, why? And they responded, well, because to say you want your inheritance before your father is dead is like saying, I wish you were dead. Now, you know, this morning, this is going to be a message where it's really easy to be like, man, I wish my brother was here, I wish my sister was here. I mean, I my neighbor, they need to hear this message. But this is for me, because I'm the younger son. And this is for you. You are the younger son. We are all the product. Because essentially, what is sin? It's independence from God. It's to say, God, I'm, I'm going over here because I want to do my own thing. I don't want to be dependent on you. I want to be my own God, making my own choices, doing what I want when I want. Wanted. I mean, we do it every day. To spend one day without beginning my time just appreciation to the one who gives me breath. Opening up his word, being refreshed by it, being in prayer. That is a day I say, I got this, God. I don't need you. Look, I'm walking, I'm talking, I'm breathing. Let's go. But it's interesting because the younger son still wants his inheritance because apart from his father, he has nothing. He has no money. He needs the inheritance to do what he wants to do. This is a reminder for all of us of just what we remembered on Ash Wednesday. We are made of dust, ashes. And to dust or ashes, we will return. We are nothing outside of the Father and in the Father's home. And the fact that the younger son is moving to a distant land where... I'm actually jumping ahead a little bit here. Um... This is us because God creates us. He gives us his image. He gives us breath to breathe. He gives us the energy to do anything we do. Yet, when we are apart from him, we are spending this on ourselves. This is the prodigal in all of us. And so it says, then, a few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, where he wasted all his money in wild living. 
We are like the younger son when we leave the father's house to live our lives independently from him. Because we seek that independence from God. Anytime we choose to find our identity outside of God's home, because home is where your identity comes from. And so the son packs up all his things. He moves to a distant land. He does this because he needs to get far, far away from the father so he doesn't hear his voice anymore, so he's not... Uh, driven by him anymore, so he can be independent to do his own thing. And where does he go? I mean, he's in Vegas. Wild living. He's living it up. He's in the distant land. He, he's so far away, like there's, not, there's no church nearby. There's not an echo of God's word. He can't hear anything. And yet, in this distant land, these tempting voices that originally drew him away, well, they're, they're loud and clear. In this space, you know, I get this because when my parents got divorced, I was 13 years old, and I'm, I'm, it's a little embarrassing to say, but it's just reality, I was like, heck yeah, it's party time, because my dad was the authority in the house. He was the rule keeper, and so I was like, sweet, I am free to do whatever I want. How do you think that worked out? Me at 13? Good grief. I knew how to work my mom. But this is what we do. We're like, I don't want to be burdened. I don't want to be lorded over with these rules and regulations because I have this upside-down view of God and what his purpose is for me and what the relationship with him is all about. So, the younger son is in the distant land. He's wild living, living it up, drinks on me, another round. We'll read later, he's spending his money on prostitutes. And what happens? It says, about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He's broke, bankrupt. The party's over, the DJ's gone, the people are gone, and the money is gone. All that's left is the mess. And notice... The younger son's not the only one bankrupt here. The, the distant land, the famine swept over it. The world he's in is bankrupt too. This points to our world. It has nothing to give him. And he is starving. This is humiliating to the younger son. He thought he was all that in the last verse, right? He's got the money. He's got the place to have fun in, and now it's gone, bankrupt. Nothing left but the humiliation, and with it, losing that sense of self-worth outside the Father's house. 
And now the shame sets in. And with it, the shame cycle. I think I'm not worthy, so I believe I'm not worthy, so I act like I'm not worthy. Notice this cycle continue as the younger son goes on in this distant land. As he persuades a local farmer to hire him. And then the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. So the younger son is being slick here. He doesn't ask the farmer for a job. He persuades him. Let me tell you about me. He hands him his resume. He's like, oh, man, I can do this. I can do that. I can do anything. Just give me a job. And this is what we all do outside the Father's house. We all work for love and acceptance outside the Father's house. Because you can never change the fact that you were made in the image of God. And it is that fact that makes us crave love and acceptance and worth. It's what we were made for, but when we look for it outside of the Father's house, we are only left in a world that doesn't give it to us, that says, prove your worth by working for it. And so the cycle goes. I'm not feeling worthy, but if I just work harder, harder I will. Oh gosh, but no worries. If I just work harder, I just work harder. And then I burn out, and then there's the world. Nothing to give you, nothing for you. What do you do for me? I'm not giving you anything. So here the younger son is to work, persuading the farmer for a job. And what job does he get? Does he get executive farmer, associate farmer? Nope. He sends him to the muddy field to feed the pigs. Again, to the Jewish audience that this parable is being told to, they are disgusted by this. The pigs are unclean. They're the filthiest and most forbidden animal in their culture. This continues with the humiliation this young son is going through. And with it, adding to his shame his lack of worth. And then the young man becomes so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but nobody gave him anything. Even the pig food was looking good to eat. I want you to notice something here. It doesn't say he ate it. It says it looked good to eat. But no one gave him anything. That included the pigs. The pigs ate the pods. The son continued to starve. Think of this level of humiliation for this son outside the father's house. When finally he comes to his senses, He said to himself, at home, 
Even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. The younger son hits rock bottom. He is now broken from his self-reliance and essentially gives up in the very best way. Like, look, man, I tried. I did this whole thing on my own, but I'm dying out here. Rock bottom. And what happens in that space? Oh, yeah. I had it way better in my father's house. He provided everything for, for me. Notice it is still a self-serving repentance. He's only turning back to go home because he's starving. He's about to die. He doesn't have much choice. But this is the beauty in rock bottom. This is how our struggles have a purpose. God doesn't want it for us, but he'll allow it because it will drop us to our knees. And it's when we're on our knees, face on the floor, that we're the humblest. Thinking, you know what? Maybe I'm not all that. Maybe I, I don't have this whole thing figured out. Maybe I'm not the one to rely on. Maybe there's something too what my father's trying to do here. So, verse 18 continues with the younger son saying, I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. Younger son's still working here. I'll go home to my father. You ever do that, that imaginary dialogue in your head? You just go over and over and over. Man, I'm going to get these words just right. Weasel my way back in here. But where's his mindset? I have sinned. That's good confession. I've sinned against both heaven and you, Father. But I am no longer worthy. And it's because he's no longer feeling worthy that all his mind can wrap around and grasp is that he would be accepted back as a hired servant who in this culture, they're not even in the house. They live next to the house. He is missing with his thoughts of unworthiness that he's ultimately repenting, coming back to a father who he feels is a harsh, judgmental, punishing father. That this is the best he can hope for. But he hopes for it nonetheless. And continues to return home to his father. And it says, And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. The welcome, the younger son is welcomed back with arms wide open. 
with his father embracing him and kissing him. We are all welcomed back home in this same way. Like the younger son, we are welcomed back while we are still a long way off because it is him, the father, who is searching for us. He's on the lookout. What? Yes. Ooh. Did he turn, almost turn around? Okay. All right, maybe a little longer. He is so patient and kind. And he comes running to us. And what effect did this have on the younger son? Verse 21. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. He goes right into his speech. The speech he probably ruminated on over and over a hundred times in his head. He's still working towards redeeming himself. The father's arms are around him, and he's still like, Father, please, no, come up, please, I'm not worthy, but please just let me be a servant in your home. And I love this. The father responds by just cutting him off mid-sentence. Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger, sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. The father doesn't make the younger son a hired hand. He gives him everything. The finest robe, the ring on the finger that shows his sonship. The family ring. Sandals for his feet and a celebration, a feast. While he was starving in the world, look at all that was waiting for him at his father's house. The true character of the father comes from his great love for us. He is a safe place of unconditional love with no judgment. He welcomes us home with these open arms, the very place we're all searching for is found in those arms. The acceptance, the feeling of home, unconditional love, something the world can never give because it knows nothing about it. And why does the father celebrate? For the son of mine was dead and now returned to life. He was lost but now is found. So the party began. The father celebrates because his child was dead and now returned to life. While the father was sitting there waiting, searching for his son, his son was so far gone in the distant land, he's like, ah, what? He's, he's dead. Can you imagine how elated how excited, how unbelievably happy and joyful the father is to see his son, who he thought was dead. Life? He's, he's back home where I can, I can clothe him, I could feed him. This is us. We are dead 
in our selfishness, our sins, our trespasses, but we are alive in Christ and in the Father's home. And the party began. I love this. Because what was the younger son looking for the whole time? A party. A good time. A place to catch a break. Some freedom. But that party in the foreign land ended, leaving him bankrupt. Where this party in the father's house never ends. You have won the lottery of love. Celebrate that. Party. Because you have no worries, just peace. Everything you need is found at home with the Father's love. And parties are great because the host takes care of everything. God is the host. So let's let God be God. He does it all. He does the healing He does the restoring. He does the renewing. My focus is just in being in his presence, being in relationship with him. That's why I'm called to come to the Father like a child with nothing, leaving me just to be loved and provided for. And then through that, I can truly love with the love of the Father. Love him back in that same way. Because God does not want our behavior. He wants our heart. Because he knows when he has the heart, everything else comes with that. How does that change your view of God this morning? And your prayers of bargaining to God? God, God, I'll give you this if you give me that. That's the deal, right? what the world taught me. Absorb this. You don't have to give God anything. And he gives you everything. You're just not going to experience that if you're not in his presence. We leave the Father's house only because we have a misunderstanding of his character. And I feel this was the younger son. In the very beginning, the rules. Ah, God, why? Why do you have to lord over me? What's with the rules? We don't see it that these rules are needed because they're the complete opposite of the world's rules that we're surrounded by. We need this new way of living because it is totally opposite from selfishness. And this new way of living breaks the shame cycle and brings us into real love and a way to love others, have compassion and peace. But if we only see them as a hindrance to our fun and freedom, we will always leave the Father. The choice is ours. Do we accept the rejection of this world that only imprisons us in shame? Or do we claim the freedom of knowing that we are a child of God? You know, Judas and Peter uh, both had this choice. They both betrayed Jesus. Judas with a kiss, 
to point out Jesus to the authorities so he could be taken and crucified. And Peter, denying him three times, was a betrayal. But what was the difference between the two? Judas lost sight of the truth that he could always come back home and be loved. He chose to take matters in his own hands. Well, there's no coming back from this one. That didn't end well for Judas. He went on to hang himself on a tree. But Peter, Peter, still humiliated, still in the muck, rock bottom. How? The one I said I never, never denied. I did it three times. But he didn't lose sight. He didn't give up. He stuck by his crew, his friends, and he knew God is good. I can always come back home. And through that, Jesus wiped that away, that betrayal. And we know what happened with Peter. Peter became the rock. But it wasn't him. It was Jesus in him. The thing with ourselves is we're always there. And this is the danger. If I rely on myself, if I make my home in myself and selfishness, I will always have something to return to. Because it's so easy. It's right here. But when I hit rock bottom, and I pray you don't have to hit rock bottom. But when that rock bottom happens, it breaks me of that. You know what? I don't. I, I don't have all the answers. I don't. I, I don't know what I'm doing. It's so hard for us to say, yet it's so true. And when we do that and it breaks us from that returning constantly to ourselves, that's all that shame cycle. Oh, let me just work harder. Let me just work harder. I'm messing up. Oh, gosh, I'm returning to myself and it's not working. I just need to try harder. Oh, harder, harder, harder. Oh, wait, I'm messing it up. Okay, I'll just tweak this and I'll change this. Burnout, shame, destruction. But when we make our home, Returning to the Father and see this beautiful thing that he then makes his home in us. So we are transformed into this new creation. So now we have a place to come home to that we can continually come to. That is the beauty of all this. This is how the gospel is in this parable. That is what it's all about. That is the good news. But to know the good news, we have to know the bad news that our sin is nasty. Our search for independence that takes us away from the Father, when we're calling him, He's calling us to this dependence on him that brings us true freedom. That is the beauty of the gospel. 
There was a Wisconsin pastor named Roy Ratcliffe who wrote a book called Dark Journey, Deep Grace, about his relationship with Jeffrey Dahmer. Jeffrey Dahmer was a notorious sinner. The mention of his name in the early 90s would send shivers down anyone who heard its backs. Jeffrey Dahmer was the worst of the worst. He was known as the Milwaukee Monster, and a monster he was. He confessed to killing 17 boys and young men and eating their remains. He was a person that other murderers and violent criminals could point to and say, he's not as bad as that guy. That guy is nasty. But Jeffrey Dahmer's father was a Christian, and he gave Jeffrey a Bible to read in prison. Wisconsin didn't have the death penalty. But Jeffrey Dahmer did get over 900 years for his crimes. And Dahmer's father knew no one on earth was going to give any grace to Jeffrey Dahmer. People chant, I mean, kill. He, he, he was killing me. Yeah, I, I should not be here. But Jeffrey opened that Bible, and he read it. He then wanted more and started attending Bible studies in the prison, getting all the curriculum he could. And then he reached out to get baptized. And there was only one local pastor who was willing to do it. Roy Ratcliffe. And after baptizing Jeffrey in prison, he continued to meet with him every week for Bible study until the day Jeffrey Dahmer was murdered in prison by another inmate. And at Jeffrey's funeral, Roy Ratcliffe said this, Jeff confessed to me his great remorse for his crimes. He wished he could do something for the families of his victims to make it right, but there was nothing he could do. He turned to God because there was no one else to turn to. But he showed great courage in his daring to ask the question, is heaven for me too? I think many people are resentful of him for asking that question, but he dared to ask it, and he dared to believe the answer. Jeffrey Dahmer did not deserve God's grace. But you don't deserve God's grace, and I don't deserve God's grace. That's why we call it grace. It is not our sin that is amazing. It is God's grace that is amazing. Our sins 
can never outweigh God's grace. Absorb that peace this morning. The only thing we can do to avoid his grace is to run away from it, trusting ourselves over him. But even in that, know that you can always return home. Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you for this morning, Father. We thank you for your truth that we are loved beyond our wildest dreams, Lord. That you are the bringer of the greatest peace and fulfillment we can ever experience. A peace and love that will change us. And it will change others through us reflecting it to them. This only comes from you, Lord. Give us the peace that comes from stopping all the work on our own for our own salvation to see the truth. You have paid it all, Lord. You are so good. You love us so much. Let us hold on to that loving embrace from you and never let go, Father. In Jesus' great name we pray. Amen.
Thank you, sir. God wants our hearts, not our behavior. Be freed by that this week. Absorb that this week. And the fact that your sin can never outweigh God's grace, his love for you. Taste that difference. Living with that focus, with knowing that character is the character of our Heavenly Father. Love you guys.